The epistle for this 12th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient to think anything of ourselves as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has also made us fit ministers of the New Testament, not in the letter, but in the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministration of death engraven with letters upon stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which is made void, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather in glory? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of justice abounds in glory. Please stand for the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel is taken from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see the things which you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings have desired to see the things that you see and have not seen them, and to hear the things that you hear and have not heard them. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempting him, and saying, Master, what must I do to possess eternal life? But he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered rightly, This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to just justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who also stripped him, and having wounded him, went away, leaving him half dead. And it chanced that a certain priest went down the same way, and seeing him, passed by. In like manner also a Levite, when he was near the place and saw him, passed by. But a certain Samaritan, being on his journey, came near him, and seeing him, was moved with compassion. And going up to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And setting him upon his own beast, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two pence and gave to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou shalt spend over and above, I upon my return will repay thee. Which of these, in thy opinion, was neighbor to him that fell among robbers? But he said, He that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go, and do thou in like manner. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, there's really one great struggle that we all have in our spiritual life, and that is that we keep the supernatural in front of the natural in our life. We put grace in front of nature. The problem is, it's a problem for us because the natural is always faster than the supernatural. Um, nature is always racing ahead. It reacts automatically in every situation, while, meanwhile, the pace of grace is slow and plodding. And 
This is why we have to always be holding nature back. That first reaction, we have to be always trying to put the brakes upon it, restraining nature so that we can allow room for the supernatural to work in us. And if we do not do this, we do not develop the habit of doing this, of pulling nature back, none of our activities will be under the direction of grace. And this is especially true for our relationships with, with our fellow human beings. Consider a situation where you have a traditional Catholic boy meets a traditional Catholic girl, and they start to be attracted to one another, they have very high ideals, and they want to do everything right in their relationship before God. But they find the force of nature is just so strong, pushing them towards one another. It's pushing them, to, for instance, to, to send text messages to one another obsessively, to talk on the phone far more than they need to into the late hours of the night, and then to push one another past the Catholic moral limits for the signs of affection towards one another. And so, in theory, you know, they, they wanted to come together in order to lead one another closer to God, but in practice, they find themselves coming together just because they're sort of flattered by the attention that they receive from one another. In the end, nature has moved too strongly and too quickly for them to be able to notice that they're loving one another for selfish reasons and not for the love of God. And as important as it is for, for prospective spouses in this example to maintain a supernatural relationship with one another, as well as spouses who have been married for a, a greater or lesser time, it's all the more important for a priest to maintain a supernatural relationship with his faithful and vice versa. The, the, how, how I, as, as a priest, as a consecrated person, relate to my faithful, I must make very sure that it's on the supernatural level and it's not on the natural level. And the reason for this is that the role of the priest is supernatural by definition, which is, which is not true for, for couples. I mean, marriage has, has very strong roots in nature. The institution of marriage has very strong roots in nature, although it has been elevated to the supernatural level by our Lord when he made it a sacrament. But the priesthood is something that's supernatural from start to finish, by its very essence, by its very institution. And um, so when a priest interacts with his faithful, the whole premise is that he will do so in a supernatural way. If he's giving advice in the confessional, if he's teaching a class, if he's leading a pilgrimage, whatever, everyone's expecting and assuming that he's going to be doing these things in order to promote the interest of God and not to promote his own interest. It's just simply the very nature of his state in life. But that does not at all mean that there is not any danger for uh, nature taking over supernature in this context, in the context of a priest activity, uh, just as much as any other activity. In a sense, there might be more danger just because of the fact that everyone is expecting a priest to be acting on the supernatural level. Everyone's expecting that by default, the relationship of the priest with his faithful will be supernatural. And so we're, we're sort of, we can be less on our guard than we would be in a typical human relationship um, to see whether things are remaining on the supernatural plane or not. 
And, and what I would like to do in, in the sermon today is just to explain to you what, what I believe is, is a very beautiful way uh, for the church and, and, and my own um, priestly family in the, the safeguards that are taken to make sure as far as possible, that the relationship of the priest with his faithful remains on the supernatural level. And, and this is the, the fact that we as priests, we don't get to choose where we want to go. Um, this helps us maintain a supernatural relationship with our faithful instead of reducing that relationship to the natural level. For instance, the fact that I have not chosen you to be my faithful and you have not chosen me to be your priest helps us uh, see more clearly that this is really the choice of God. And that I, I do not come to you uh, by my own decision, but I, I come to you because I've been given a mission by God to take care of you. So we can believe that it was the will of God because it's so clearly not our own will. And to see why this is the case, I, I want to sort of consider the, the opposite of, of what it would be like if the, if the opposite took place, um, if there was a sort of democratic process involved where the choice of things is in our power. Consider a, a, a typical sort of democratic situation um, where you have a, a set of political candidates and you look at each of their qualifications, you, you listen to their speeches, you, you go to their rallies, and you, you evaluate them all, you list them all according to their respective strengths. Um, and then you choose the one that, that you think is, is the best. The choice has been made entirely by your investigation, by your determination. It's a process that is completely and utterly under your control in the sense that you can choose whomever you want. And one of the problems that, that can occur in, in the democratic system, I'm not saying that the democratic system is, is bad. Um, I mean, Leo XIII is very clear in Immortality Day that, that um, democracy is not intrinsically evil. It's okay to have democracies. But one of the things that, that can occur, one of the problematic issues that can occur, is that because the election of the candidates is subject entirely to the choice of the people, the people can tend not to see that the authority of the candidate comes from God. They may have chosen the candidate, but he doesn't receive the authority from them. They don't give him authority. All authority comes from God. But because they say, well, I chose him, they would have the impression that, well, I am giving him the power to rule. Um, they see the authority as coming from themselves. And if you, can, if you can make authority, you can also break authority. If the leader has his power and authority from me, well, then I can, I can get rid of him whenever I want. If he doesn't like what I like, then we're just going to kick him out of office. Um, unfortunately, this is, this is how, sometimes how modern people can, can treat their, their marriages. They feel like their, their choice of a spouse is just utterly subject to them, utterly subject to their own power. Um, they don't see their marriages as being ratified by God such that God has authority over their marriage, but they see their marriage as being ratified by their own wills. But this is just not the case. Um, it's true that you chose your spouse. I mean, that's obvious. But as soon as you pronounced vows before the altar of God, 
your consent became something more than human. It is, it was God who took that consent and he ratified it in heaven. And that consent, be, as it were, at that moment, belonged to him. He took ownership of that consent that you expressed on your marriage day. It was God who sealed your marriage, making it something supernatural. And that's why you can't walk away from that point. Your consent is no longer, you, don't, you no longer have ownership over that consent. Your consent is not in your hands, it's in God. If you had complete ownership over your marriage, if it were something utterly subject to your own will, then yes, you could do whatever you wanted. But it's not. It's under God's authority, not your own authority. The time of choosing, your time of choosing, is over. So we can say that, that the democratic process where choice is entirely left to us can lend itself to a certain naturalism in two different ways. One is it can make people think that the authority of, of their leaders or the authority of this construct comes from themselves and not God, when in fact it's not true. And then secondly, as a consequence, it can make people think that they have a right to do whatever they want in that given situation. For instance, um, do whatever they want with their leaders or do whatever they want with their marriage. Now, as I'm saying, so what, what the church wants to ensure uh, for, for a priest that, that when he comes to a new assignment is that he has a supernatural attitude about it, that, he, that he's from the very get-go fostering a supernatural attitude towards his faithful and towards the role he exercises in the parish. She wants the priest to be very clear that it's the will of God for him to go to this or that place and not his own will. And for that reason, she, she removes the democratic aspect. There's, there's, no, there's no democracy involved. She doesn't make it a democratic process. For instance, the, the you know, I mean, just taking a very sort of farcical example, I mean, the, the superiors of the society, St. Pius X, they don't sort of give us a, a catalog of, of, of the priories and parishes and say, hey, you know, check it out. Um, here's your catalog. And, you know, you sort of flip through it and you're like, ooh, post falls. Um, um, and then you're like, oh, you know, St. Mary's, oh, blessed St. Mary's, um, Denver, really nice church, wonderful, faithful, um, don't know if I'm able to drink Coors Light, but, um, Lord, give me the strength, um, that sort of thing, you, 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 this, this would be utterly contrary to the, um, nature of the priesthood and what, the church wants to be accomplished when she gives a priest an assignment. We know that the priest rather, that we have no idea each year if, if we're going to be sent to a different place or, or not. We, we just don't know from year to year where we're going to be living um, the next year. People would ask me all the time when I was in Australia, you know, how long do you plan to be here? And I would have to say, well, you know, this is not it's not really my, my choice. It's, just, it's the decision of, of my superiors. They, they get to decide. I, I have really have no idea how long I'm, I'm going to be here. Um, and this year, I mean, it, it, was, it was after 10 years in, in Australia. I was, I was told on, on the 18th of April that I would be transferred back to the United States. But still, I, I didn't know where 
I wasn't always told where in the United States. Um, and it wasn't until about two months later that, that I knew it was, I was, I was coming here. As I say, I mean, I was very, very happy to receive that news. I thought it was, Denver was very likely to be a very nice place to, to go. But the point is that, um, it was utterly and entirely up, up to my superiors and I had absolutely no, um, input into that decision-making process. And, and the fact that I was not at all involved um, makes it clear to me that this is not my will. Um, it, it is the will of God. It makes it clear that the foundation of, of my relationship with my faithful is a supernatural foundation. It's, it's not based on my human calculations. It's based on the decision of my superiors who are the representatives of God for me. And this is extremely important for, for my attitude towards you, my dear faithful. Um, it's extremely important that when I ask myself, who gave me these, these faithful to take care of, the answer is God. God gave them to me. Um, I'm much more likely to love you for God's sake instead of for my own sake if I have this conviction that it's God who wants me to be here. Um, I'm much more likely to make the decisions for you that God wants me to make than what I want to make than if, if I believe that you have been given to me by God and it's not, it's not under my, my own choice. So, this also works in the opposite direction. Perhaps, you know, you would also experience the temptation of seeing a new priest in terms of, for instance, whether or not he's going to, to do what you want. Um, well, good, we have a, a new priest. This is, uh, he, he will be able to uh, accomplish for, for me perhaps this or that that I've desired in the parish. Well, I, I would hope to uh, please some people in the decisions that I, that I make. Um, but it's much better to just say, well, this is the priest that God has sent us, um, instead of saying, this is the priest who might do what I want. There, there are those people who are, are saying perhaps, oh, well, maybe this is the priest who will do what I want, um, are probably the people I'm most likely to upset because I may end up doing certain things that they like, but um, I will never end up doing everything that they like. And when that happens, um, because they're sizing me up according to how, whether or not I will accomplish their will, um, they will will be upset when I don't do their will. And that's why I would much prefer to hear the answer, who is your new priest? Not so much Father Robinson, but it's the priest that, that God has sent us. Um, I know that if you have that supernatural attitude, then all will be well, because I don't I don't come here firstly as as Father Robinson. I come here firstly as as the one sent by God. I pray that that, that is my outlook. Um, this is sort of what St. Paul is, is getting on about in today's epistle when he says, we are not sufficient to think anything of ourselves as of ourselves. Of myself, it's, it's nothing. I'm, I'm nothing, just an individual person. But our sufficiency is from God. He has made us fit ministers of the New Testament. And in, in, in line with, with our patron, St. Pius X, um, he very much had the spirit, you know, when he was elected Pope, um, just as everywhere, there, there was, there was all the fake news going on about, about St. Pius X, about people speculating, well, what kind of Pope is this going to be? And what, 
what, what's going to be the basis of his decisions. And in his first encyclical, he wanted to make it very clear. He's like, look, I'm Pope because it's the choice of God, and I, all that I'm going to want to do in, in my pontificate is fulfill the will of God. That's what I'm going to be looking for in, in my pontificate. He says in his first encyclical, some will certainly be found who measuring divine things by human standards will seek to discover secret aims of ours, distorting them to an earthly scope and to political designs. To eliminate all vain delusions for such, we say to them with emphasis that we do not wish to be, and with the divine assistance never shall be anything else before human society but the minister of God, of whose authority we are the depository. The interests of God shall be our interest, and for these we are resolved to spend all our strength in our very life. Hence, should anyone ask us for a symbol as the expression of our will, we will give this and no other to renew all things in Christ. And what a beautiful model that is for, for me as a priest, uh, to, to have him as our, as our patron, um, to set that, that supernatural tone that, that is so important for a priest, in which I pray to God that um, I have and, and may maintain. So, above everything, my dear faithful, um, and however much time God desires me to be among you, I want to make sure to love you and care for your souls in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a supernatural spirit. I want to be among you as a priest consecrated for the service of God. And for that reason, I, I want to dedicate my, my time here as prior, whatever, whatever time God wills to give me, I want to dedicate it to Our Lady, to the Mother of God, because she is the one that leads all of us most surely to our Lord Jesus Christ, to her son. I feel like she has sort of followed me from Australia. It's almost like she was the one who chose me to be here um, because of the fact that, that Our Lady Help of Christians is the patroness of Australia. And then um, when, I, when I walked up to St. Isidore's Church, there she was sort of looking down at me, smiling at me, just as she had been during my time in Australia. It was almost as if she was saying to me, my son, don't you see that if you let me make all the choices, then everything turns out for the best. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.